0: Welcome to Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass, a weekly conversation about business, careers, and personal development designed to inspire, educate, and motivate you, and sometimes ourselves, to show up powerfully, live fearlessly, and to find and unleash your inner badass. I'm Lisa Lindsay. I'm Liz Green. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass. I'm Lisa Lindsay here with my vivacious co-host. I didn't say that right. <laughs> Liz Green. Hey, Liz. <laughs> Hi. Hey, so question for you. I, a couple of weeks ago, I made a recommendation and I'm wondering for you to something for you to watch. And I'm wondering, did you get a chance to watch Mayor of Easttown yet? Yes, I
1: did. Okay. Oh my goodness. And thank you so much for that recommendation because we ran out of everything. You know, we ran out of things to watch, and I was watching, you know, like Brothers and Sisters <laughs> was the that show. That's like fifteen years old. So we started watching it. Oh my goodness, what an amazing show! I we binged that like crazy. So yeah. yeah, I highly recommend that for you guys. Yeah.
0: So, so two thoughts about that. First of all, I am a Kate Winslet stan. Right. Ever since mm-hmm. the moment she stepped out of the car in Titanic. With that hat, because because James, whatever his name is, James Cameron did her really well in, in Titanic. Yeah. So I've, I love me some Kate Winslet, like you wouldn't believe. But Gene um, Smart, I mean. Gene Smart's amazing. Gene Smart always has been. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying it's sort of like a renaissance right now cuz there's another show on HBO uh, HBO Max so it's not showing on HBO uh, called Hacks which she's in which is phenomenal and I'm like can this woman can she is there anything she can't do it's amazing Jean Smart so Oh not, yeah she's yeah. just fantastic yeah thanks for that
1: recommendation I that was great
0: Good. I'm so glad you watched it and you guys uh, enjoyed it. I I, uh, I have been trying to get everybody else to watch it, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know we've got a doozy of an episode coming, so I think we just want to yes. get right into it.
1: We got right into it. It was a long episode, longer than normal. And the reason is because it is fantastic. Choc-ful. This guest. Oh, my God. Top, top.
0: So Michelle is is a fantastic, phenomenal, right? And we talk with her about creating a scalable and sellable business. And really, we focus a little bit on the sellable part because we talk about creating businesses all the time, but we never think about what our exit strategy is for our business. And, you know, at first I didn't really know if we should have her on because I'm like, nobody's thinking about selling, but her information about why it's critical it is unbelievable. So Michelle Sealer tucker is the founder and CEO of Sealer tucker Incorporated. Michelle also owns many other businesses in several different industries. As a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she is regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Michelle and her firm have sold over 1,000 businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable track record of success. Michelle, oh my goodness. Welcome. Thank you for meeting us. It is super early in the morning
2: still for me. So thank you for joining us. You're welcome. That's funny. I get up at like 4 30 a.m., 5 a.m. Wow. So it's like really? No, know.
1: no, no, no. You know what they say? Every successful person gets up at between four and 5
0: a.m. You know what? I kind of hate that because (laughs) I think the opposite can also be true that you don't go to bed until one or two in the morning.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you have your your morning people and you have your night people. And, you know, I just, I get up early in the morning because that's the only time I can get anything done. (laughs) I have a daughter, so that's the only time I can work out. That's the only time I can get stuff done in my office. You know, otherwise, it's like constant interruptions. yeah. (laughs) So exactly. so Michelle um so you are launching a book
0: in just about a week. It is called Exit Rich. So why don't we talk a little bit about how you came to write the book, why why you think this this is an important idea to get out into the world.
2: Sure. I'm a mergers acquisitions mastering mediary. Been in this industry a little over 20 years. I personally have sold over 500 companies. My um, team has sold, well, altogether, we've sold over a thousand businesses. And the reason why I felt like it was so important to write Exit Rich, there's many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is that what Steve Forbes says is true. 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. Mm-hmm. 80%. Now, When I tell people that, they're just kind of like, look at me and I'm like, that's like startling statistics, because that means only 20% of business owners who try to sell their business will actually be successful at selling their company. So 80% of businesses don't sell. Also, another strong statistic is when I wrote my very first book, bestseller, by the way, Mm -hmm. called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research back then and learned. That 95% of all startups within those first one to five years would end up going out of business, right? We all know that. But then I started doing the research for Exit Rich because I sell businesses all over the United States and in other countries as well. And I started noticing that I would see all these businesses and strip centers and all of a sudden I would go back to that town a month or two months later And half of the strip center is empty. So I started doing more research and learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped. It's actually changed dramatically. So now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business. Mm. Only 30%. -hmm. But this is really scary. Out of 27.6 million companies in the United States, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer. 70% of those businesses will go out of business
0: wow wow that's that's fascinating that is startling you know it's interesting you know I think people tend to um probably conflate that stat, or at least I remember when I was looking at this kind of information way back when, right? It seemed like people would say, be careful about starting businesses because
2: you have more of a chance to go out of business. But what you're saying here is that it really isn't that way. (laughs) Well, it was, it's always been that way. That's always been correct. that startups will go out of business, but now it's not that way. And there's many reasons for that, that we can get into. Yeah. Uh, But now, you know, it used to be that, gosh, if you're in business, Five, six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen, twenty 15, 20 years, you're golden. You're going to be in business forever. Right. That's not the case anymore. You know, if you, if you listen to the media, what's the media always talk about almost every single day. Toys R Us goes out of business, been in business 75 yeah. years. Yeah. Kmart, Steinmark. Montgomery Wards is in trouble. GNC is closing down 900 locations. Yeah. Godiva, our very favorite chocolate is closing down 1500 locations. Disney stores are going out of business, but what the media doesn't talk about Lisa and Liz are all the private businesses that are not public on every street corner in every town and you know, every state across this great nation, these business owners are exiting poor. They're selling for pennies on the dollar or closing their business, or even worse, filing bankruptcy. In America, when you file bankruptcy, you don't just lose your business assets. You lose your personal assets too, because guess what business owners do? They call mingle assets. Yeah, <laughs> so they pierce yes. the corporate veil and mm-hmm. they don't even think about it. So mm-hmm. that's why we wrote Exit Rich is to tell business owners, so I exit rich is not just about selling your business. It's about building a business that's sustainable, that you can scale, so you won't become part of the 70% statistics of businesses going out of business, plus you won't become part of the 80% of businesses that never sell.
0: Mm-hmm. That, you know, yeah. that
2: is such a fascinating sort of
0: concept and idea, right? And if I were, if I were to get just a little bit selfish in the moment. So I'm a solopreneur and Liz is a solopreneur. And that's one of the things we do. We have a lot of people who we know listen to us who are solopreneurs, you know, so-called solopreneurs as well, who are therapists, you know, a lot of people who kind of work on their own. And, you know, one of the interesting things you said to said to, to us in our pre-chat was that. A lot of entrepreneurs build jobs and not really businesses. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Because I certainly felt like that, whoa, that struck me. And just kind of in thinking about it a little bit, I was like, you know what? She might be right. I think I might be building a job and not a business. So tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so there's there's a lot of uh, major reasons why businesses got a business and why business owners don't sell. There's so many reasons. But one of the number one reasons is because business owners have never built a business that buyer actually wants to buy. Mm-hmm. They've built a glorified job in which they're going to work it every day versus a business that actually works for them. So buyers are not buying jobs. Buyers right. are buying businesses. So therapists, interior decorators, consultants. You know, any solar entrepreneurs have a very difficult time, if not impossible, to sell their business. So you have to ask yourself, and you know, if you want to be a solar entrepreneur, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But it's not forever. It's not going to last mm-hmm. forever. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to build a lifestyle business. It's going to last forever. Nothing lasts forever, number one. I had a lady call me the other day um, from Texas and she was in tears and she said, My husband dropped dead from a heart attack. Mm, wow. And he was young.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And she said, He left me with a mountain of debt. I don't know anything about the finances. Can you sell his business? And I said, well, What does he do? And she said, he's, con- he's in construction. I said, Does he have employees? She said, No, <laughs> he only has subcontractors. Right. Mm. So subcontractors so in construction work for a lot of different. Contract. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Well, what about processes and data and all this stuff? And she goes, No, he doesn't have any of that. It's all in his head. I said, Well, I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, when he died, the business died. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mm -hmm. happens. And nothing lasts forever. So we have to, you know, number one, set our loved ones up for success because she's in a big bind. She's probably going to have to file bankruptcy. And that's sad. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing lasts forever. So You know, you got to ask yourself, do you want a job or do you want a business? And if you Mm -hmm. want a job, that's fine. But you'll probably never be able to sell it. And at some point, you might not be able to work in it. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to build a business that is sellable? Right.
1: And that's what you do. And that's what your company does is you build businesses, or at least that's one category. Mm -hmm. And then you help um, build so that people can exit rich, right? or exit in a way that, uh, you know, is basically elevates their business, right, financially. So can you say a little bit more about that?
2: Absolutely. So, you know, we work with clients that the number two reason why businesses don't sell is because business owners never think about the exit. They never really think about selling their business, Until a catastrophic event occurs, whether that's internal or external. Internal is just like that lady I I told you about who called me. You know, her husband dropped out of a heart attack. So death, divorce, partners' disputes, burnout, the business not doing well. These are all catastrophic events. And this is what triggers business owners wanting to sell their business. External is this pandemic we're in. We're getting so many calls right now about business owners wanting to sell their business, especially in the hospitality industry, because their business is taking a nosedive. So the worst time to sell your business is during a catastrophic event. You will not maximize value. You might not even be able to sell it during a catastrophic event, just like in the case of this lady who called me. So you really want to plan for your exit. You know, you want to treat your business like, your most valuable your your business should be your most valuable asset, and I find the biggest issue with business owners is the mindset. You always say we'll never grow the business beyond what we can grow the owner. Mm-hmm. I, I, oof, girl. Oof. hmm <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, ooh, that touched you, you Just you, just you, <laughs> just you, just said a word, Michelle. I'm like, preach. <laughs> <laughs> so. So their mindset of business owners is, this is my lifestyle business, this is my baby, I'm never going to sell it. Mm-hmm. Your business is not your baby. Your babies are at home. Go home, if, love if them, you, kiss if you have them, them, hug them. If what? you have them, if you have them, because all of us don't. <laughs> if you have them, or if you have cats, or if you have dogs, or if you have some other type of baby, but your business should be your most valuable asset. I I reference, you know, I make the analogy that your business is like, your portfolio, your financial portfolio with your financial advisor, right? If you have stocks, bonds, you invest. That's your investment portfolio. You're not treating it as your baby. You're treating it as an investment. You buy when you should. You sell when you should. You listen to the experts, right? It's that's actual people, money. It's actual money is really what it's it actual is. actual money. That's right. And that's what your business should be. That's what your business should be. Yeah. Actual money. Your business should be your most valuable Asset, And so we work with business owners to plan what I call the GPS accident models. So you ladies are both in New York, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. When you want to drive somewhere, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google maps. And what's the first thing you plug in?
0: <laughs> Listen, this, to- of like a nice way of coaching. Cause I actually use that with my,
2: uh, score clients. It's like, where do you and that's to funny go? Cause we just met. So we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So you, you put, you put it in your destination destination. Yes. destination. So business yeah. owners don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Yeah. And yeah business yeah. owners don't have a destination. So they're driving around in circles, driving up and down the financial Hills, What the end goal? up exiting poor, not rich.
0: Yeah, we do. not And you know, it's interesting because I could even say like, just thinking about what you, what we're talking about here today, right? I would personally say, look, Michelle, what are you talking about? I know that I certainly kind of plan. And that's probably true to the sense that it's a short-term plan, right? So what am I going to do with my business this year or Mm -hmm. over the next six months, let's say. But what it looks like in five years, or 10 years, or 20 years even, even if I do have that much in me, I don't know, <laughs> right? I haven't thought about that yet. And it sounds like that's almost what you're talking about, that it's it's both, a short-term and a long-term plan um, for I'm, your business.
2: Yeah, what I'm talking about is actually planning your exit, because so getting- I've been doing this over 20 years, thousands of businesses, I've never met a business owner that's actually planned their exit from the start. To the end. And like Stephen mm. Covey always says, start with the end in mind. Yes. Yeah. So number one is a destination. And I always tell my clients pick a number, pick a number that you want to sell for. And this is what clients always get hung up. They're like, oh my God, the number, I don't know. Just pick a freaking number you, can <laughs> you, can, you, you, can can you could have said the other
0: f-word you said the other word i would have really uh, loved uh, it
2: yeah yeah you, you definitely
1: could well you know it's interesting because when i first started my company bar candy which people have heard me speak about my company before on this podcast um One of the investors said, he sat down and he said, and literally, we hadn't even had our launch party. He said, Liz, we have to think of an exit strategy. I said, what are you talking about? I'm never selling my company. I just created this. I just got the patents. I'm about to have this great launch party with, you know, these celebrities coming and everything. What are you talking about? He said, no, no, no. Trust me. I've had so many different businesses. You have to start thinking about that from the start. And th- that floored me, that concept.
2: So, you know, I'm surprised that someone else said that because not very many people talk about that, but you really need, like, it's for me, you know, I don't just sell businesses. I partner with business owners. I invest my core competencies, my money, you know, my resources. But when I do it, I'm always like, okay, what's your exit strategy? What's our exit strategy? Let's figure out our exit strategy. So you have to have an exit strategy. And um, a lot of investors won't even invest unless you do have that exit strategy. So first and foremost, you need to figure out your destination, your end game. What is your desired sales price? You know, I always tell my clients, just pick a number. Let's say you want to sell for $10 million. Boom, there's a number. Right mm-hmm. Right right a number.
0: you don't necessarily you don't necessarily have to meet that number if that's not if it doesn't happen, but you, you have can to have decrease something it, in you night. can
2: increase it, but you know you got to start with a plan. you got to have mm-hmm. a plan. Mm-hmm. And so the second the second step in a GPS exit model, what's the GPS exit need to know after it knows its destination? Where are you starting from? And most business owners have never had their business evaluated. They have no idea what their business is worth. I just met with a gentleman the other day, been in business 40 years, has never had his business evaluated. Most business owners don't get their business evaluated until they think about selling. When they think about selling, there's a catastrophic event. So they'll come to me and say, oh, I want to sell for $20 million, but their cash flow is a hundred thousand. <laughs> and I'm like, how'd you come up with 20 million? And they go, oh, well, that's what I need to retire on. Or that's what I need to you know, buy another business. Business owners come up with When they come to me and they tell me what they want to sell their business for, it's never based upon the value of their business. It's always based upon what they need to do next, If they want to retire, you know, will they for their lifestyle. If they want to travel on the road, if they want to, you know, whatever it is, it's based upon what they need. (laughs) Buyers don't care what you need. Buyers care about what the value is to them. So we go to the doctors once a year and get an annual checkup, right? We drive our car to the shop and get an annual tune-up, but we don't take our most valuable asset and get an annual business valuation Hmm. checkup. is financial suicide because there are events that increase valuation, there are events that decrease valuation, just Mm -hmm. like this pandemic. You need to know what your business is every year. I mean, how do you know if you're anywhere close to your destination if you don't even know where you're starting from or what your business is worth today? And don't go to your CPA to get an evaluation because evaluations are more of an art rather than a science, and most CPAs do not know how to evaluate synergies. Buyers mm-hmm. buy synergies, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Huh. So, let's say your business is worth let's say you want to sell 10 million and it's worth 2 million today. The next thing you need to know is time frame when do I want to do this? Let's say you want to do this in 10 years. Now we have a store of an exit plan. (laughs) And then the next thing you need to ask yourself is, well, who are my buyers going to be? Now, the reason I say buyers is because I have so many clients come to me and say, Michelle, I just need you to represent me with this one client. And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, we're not going to do that. And they're like, why are we not going to do that? And I said, because we're going to market your business at the same time that I'm representing you with this one client because. We have to go in and look at your business. We have to evaluate your business. We have to evaluate it on what I call the six Ps. We probably have to get your financials in order because they're probably a mess. (laughs) We have to get all the due diligence items together that buyers are going to want to look at and review. We have to put it in a data room. And I can promise you the likelihood of that one buyer closing on the sale of your business is slim to none. So we're not going to do all that work for one buyer without no backup buyers. Plus, how can we ever maximize value if we can't create competition because we have a party of one. The way you, you maximize value is to have multiple buyers looking at your business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's five types of buyers. Most business owners don't know that. 90% of buyers, 90-95% of buyers are first-time buyers. They don't buy multi-million dollar companies, they buy coffee shops and pizzeria's and ice cream stores. Mm-hmm. The second type of buyer is turnaround specialists. They certainly don't buy multi million dollar businesses. They buy distressed assets. And right now, turnaround specialists are in heaven because there are so many distressed yep. assets. Alas. <laughs> well, and then they can also really buy the business for nothing because they, they take the assets and leverage the assets. Mm-hmm. And that's how they buy the business. And the owners are stuck. So they can't really say anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the third type of buyer are PEGs, PEGs, private equity groups. They buy based on two ways. They buy based upon platform and add ons So let's say they want to get in the candy space. We'll use, we'll use Liz this, as an example. They won't even look at Liz's business. And let's say they want to get in the food business. And you're part of the food business, right? Even though it's mm-hmm. novelty, it's food. They won't even look at your business unless you have at least $3 million and up in EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before mm-hmm. interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. But let's say they're already in the food business. Then they'll look at your business for under a million dollars for add-ons. So add-ons, will go under a million dollars in EBITDA. Platforms, they will not. Platforms has got to be 3 million and up. Some of the private equity groups require 5 million. Some require 10, some require 15. Then the third type, fourth type of buyer are strategics and competitors, and they typically pay the highest multiple. Because they're buying synergies, they're buying mm-hmm. those patents lists, those trademarks, those contracts. They're buying synergies, branding, that can help catapult their current business to the next level. Plus, mm-hmm. they look at what they can take advantage of for economies of scale, Lisa. So, because if they can take advantage of economies of scale, then that helps them decrease their overhead and decrease their EBITDA. Plus, yeah. they look at the infrastructure that the business are buying and they're like, oh, you know, we don't need that distribution center that that company has is costing $5 million to operate because we have distribution all over the country. So they're immediately going to cut that distribution center, which increases EBITDA from day one of closing. So when you're working to sell your business or get your business valued, you got to have an MA advisor that knows what buyers are willing to pay what for. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then the last type of buyer... Are your serial entrepreneurs, sophisticated buyers, industry agnostic? They chase EBITDA, they chase cash flow. You know, I call them storm chasers, like cash chasers. Right. So those are your five types of buyers. So if you're trying to sell a multi-million dollar company, you're going to roll out the first two and the next three are going to be yours. Then you have to ask yourself, okay, now that I have my plan and I know who my buyers are going to be, you have to reverse engineer it, right, Lisa? Mm-hmm. Gonna reverse engineer and we have to say, okay, well, what what do the numbers have to be? If I want to sell for $10 million, what is my gross revenues, my cogs, my operating expense, most importantly, my EBITDA, what does that need to be? And a lot of it has to do with synergies, but I would say your EBITDA has got to be anywhere from one to two, uh, probably one and a half to $2.5 one, 1. 1.5 million to 2.5 million in EBITDA to get to that $10 million sales price. Make sense? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. but yes Yes. (laughs) I'm like all of a sudden there's two thoughts that I had two competing thoughts like oh my god that is so much stuff right and I'm like I feel like this conversation is gonna be short and we're barely scratching the surface but I love it because it forces you to think and one of the things that I was thinking about it's sort of like you know, it's very interesting. It's sort of like getting life insurance. It's probably, this is a very basic analogy and probably not the same, but it's the idea of thinking about the end and what the end is going
2: to look like and what you need to do about it. What I'm saying is, when you went into business, when people go into business, they're like, here's my widget. Your widget can be counseling. Your widget could be, you know, hairdresser, your widget could be, you know, candy, um, building a candy company. That's your widget. Here's your direct target audience. Liz has candy what's it called Liz candy bar art candy art candy your and your direct target market is the wedding industry is brides right that's right your business is your widget your business is your product it's yeah. no different from when you go into business and say here's my candy here's my brides this is my target market i'm gonna do everything to meet their specific criteria so I can get their business. Same thing with your business. Your business is your widget. These are your buyers. You build to meet their specific needs. So you figure out where the numbers have to be. Then you figure out, well, how do I build my business to meet their specific criteria? How do I build those synergies like those patents and those trademarks and those contracts and those databases, celebrity endorsements too? How do I build this business to meet their specific criteria so I can maximize value and get the highest price for my business when I'm ready? Yeah. Your business is your widget. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: so, so, so then answer that. So why don't we answer that question a little bit? How do we build the business? So we get the highest price. Yeah. for it? So we're going
2: to talk about that with the six P's. There's one more step in the GPS sure. model. And that one more step is what is your, why? Why do you want to sell your business for 10 million? If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Yep. You have to have a why because business is not easy. Mm-hmm. Business is not easy. You know, Business owners weather a lot of financial storms. We just weathered this pandemic. Who knows what's next? Your why has to be powerful enough, strong enough to keep you motivated, to keep you in the game, to keep you weathering all the financial storms. So you need to know your why. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And that's a concept that is really important to us around here, understanding your why for anything you're doing, but especially why you're doing your business, because in addition to how it could help you exit, it certainly is one of the things that's going to keep you getting up every day. It's
2: tough. I mean, there's days where like, oh my God. I mean, I even in my career, and I've been in this for over 20 years, there's been times where I call my husband and go, Why am I doing this? Why am I stuck (laughs) in Houston, Texas for two weeks when I was supposed to be here for two days taking inventory with this freaking nightmare of a team buyer? And my seller is cuckoo and doesn't listen to anything we tell him, so he's sabotaging the sale. Why am I doing this? And my husband goes, here's your why. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so you're also saying make sure other people know your why too. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And you know what? Make sure the right people know your why. Yeah. The supportive Mm -hmm. people know your why, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. your network equals your net worth. Relation no. Capital is everything. Girl,
0: Michelle is in here dropping gems, Liz. I can't.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm going to,
0: I
1: don't usually listen to our podcast after we record it, but I'm going to go and listen to this one on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of gem bombs. A lot of
2: golden nuggets. You know, each chapter of Exit Rich is called golden nugget number one, golden nugget number two. Brilliant. All right, so let's get into the yeah. six piece because here's yes. how you build a business to meet those three types of buyers, which are pegs, strategic slash competitors, and sophisticated, this is how you build a business to sell for maximum value and build a business to meet their specific criteria. Number one, and I put them in the order of importance, mm-hmm. kind of, oh. right? kind of, sort of. And I'll explain the order. Number one is people. You're not going to do anything without people. You either have a team or you are solo. You know? Listen,
0: it's it's what it's it's my bread and butter, it's what I do. I can't tell people this enough
2: because my HR consultant. So um people is everything. You don't build a business, ladies. You build people and people build the business. Oh yeah. But the people component is the most difficult it's the most complicated It's Mm -hmm. it sometimes it's the number one reason why business owners want to sell it. Like, Oh my God, I can't take it anymore. I can't Uh take the people anymore. It's also a big reason why so many businesses are going to automate it and Uh and replacing people with computers. (laughs) So people's number one. So business owners have to stop thinking. And this is a, this is a mindset that you guys have to change. that everybody has to change. Entrepreneurs mindset is if I want it done right, I have to do it myself.
0: One of the things that we just talked about is um, one of the episodes that I just do did is, is delegating because yes, I agree with you hundred percent. It's important. It's incredibly critical when you sit in the space of, um, of not handing things off to other people. First of all, you spend a lot of time doing things that aren't worth your time and energy. You're not focused on your strategy. You're mm-hmm. not focused on the things that really are really going to make you money. And um, it's a waste of your time. It just is a waste of your time sort of as a bottom line, very easy right. to say. And I want to kind of get back to you and what you're saying, but yes, I agree well, with so- you hundred percent.
2: We go back to entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs have to focus on their strengths and hire their weaknesses. And so a lot of times, you know, entrepreneurs are like, what are my strengths? You know, like they don't even know. Um, mm-hmm. So we help them figure out what their strengths are. But entrepreneurs have to stay in their lane, mm-hmm. stay in their lane, figure out their mm-hmm. strengths, hire their weaknesses. You have to work on your business, not in it, when you're working in it, that's where all the problems are. So you got Mm -hmm. to hire people that are smarter than you in areas that are not your core competencies and you have to delegate. So you have to put the right people, hire the right people and put them in the right seats. I see a lot of companies that have people, but they're trying to fit a square peg into a round hoe. And I mean, i have even guilty of that myself. I'm like, yes, you can do it. You're going to do it. (laughs) You know, but we have to, we have to figure out, What are their core competencies? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And put them in the right spot. And then you have to, ladies, you have to ask ask the who question. Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, banking, environmental, quality control, manufacturing, logistics, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. The clue, Liz and Lisa, is that you should never be next to the who. You should never be next to the who. Mm -hmm. We want the business to run without you. Yep. And if you're going to try to sell a multi-million dollar business, I'm going to tell you this right now. You'll never be able to really sell it completely. A hundred percent. There's five ways. If it relies on you. Yep. There's five ways to exit a business that we haven't talked about yet, but you'll never be able to sell a hundred percent of that business. If it relies on you. I'm selling a company for $70 million right now. And they have 300 employees. But the business still is dependent upon the owner. The owner has relationships with all the key clients. The owner has all the data in his head. (laughs) And the buyers that we're bringing to the table are making offers, but they're like for 60%, 70%. They're not for 100%, which is okay because they'll sell 80%. But they're like, no, he needs to retain more ownership than that. So you really have to build a business to run without you and then you have to have a layer of management in in place okay so that's the people component. So I put that number one because nothing else will happen really without the people. Without the people. Yeah. And I just mm-hmm. like to add, if you would if would yeah. allow
0: me, is that in my experience kind of working with business owners, especially people who have small businesses, their business is either a family business or it's tied to them in some way. There's mm-hmm. a lot of ego wrapped up, especially if you're a founder of the business, right? Like it's it's very much about well, you can't do it without me, which is not true, right? It's just that's how you feel. Um, yeah. um, and you feel like if, if your business becomes a part of your identity, a lot of the times, then you don't know how to separate because you haven't done the work to figure out how to <laughs> to separate your business. From and that's your a identity. good point.
2: And that's why I always said it's about mindset, right? You'll never mm-hmm. go the business beyond what you can go the owner. And yep. you got to check the ego at the door. Yeah. hundred percent. But that's very, very hard to do. <laughs> yeah. Especially with doctors. Like we had a dentist that came to us and he's been in business 50 years. One dentist, three dental hygienists, the three dental hygienists are his daughters. And he said, you know, he wants to sell his business. So I said, well, listen, it's a family business. I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to maximize value. Mm-mm. I said, I could probably sell it, but the purchase price is going to be contingent upon you and your daughter staying on, and there's going to be contingencies. There's going to be clawbacks. There's going to be self-financing, earnouts, outs, et cetera. It goes, honey, we're not staying. I uh, said, so honey, you're not selling. <laughs> <laughs> when you and your daughters leave, your patients leave. And so right. there's a lot of, like we sell chiropractors, we sell medical practices, we sell dentists, we sell, you know, um, a lot of different practices like that. And there is a huge, huge ego. We're like, well, nobody can do it better than me. And you just, you know, always have everybody check your ego out the door. We're building a, we're not building a business. We're building people mm-hmm. and people build a business. Yeah. I can't say mm-hmm. that enough. Otherwise mm-hmm. you have a job, you don't have a business. Yeah. And when you're 100, done percent, then you're going to have to walk away just like this sentence is going to walk away because nobody's buying your job without a lot mm-hmm. of contingencies. 100%. All right. So right. the next P, which is, I feel like the next most important one, is product. Mm-hmm. Now remember I said 70% of businesses are going out of business after being in business for 27.6 million. Mm-hmm. Let me just give you all a history lesson. There are 30.2 million businesses in the United States employing over half the U.S. workforce. Out of 27.6 million, 70% of them are going out of business. We should all be scared shitless right now, and the media doesn't freaking talk about it because they only want to talk about the big public companies because that's what they see as important. But if we lose more small business, we lose jobs. We lose jobs, we lose spending power. We lose spending power. Guess what happens? There's a trickle-down effect. You lose more of a small business, right? Mm -hmm. So we got to fix this problem. So the number one reason that these businesses are going out of business and startups are staying in business is because of lack of AIM. A-I-M.
0: Yeah. You know, as you're saying that, I was thinking, well, why did Blockbuster go out of business? A lot of it is about the product they were selling and not being fast enough in terms of innovating their product. Bingo.
2: Aim yeah. is always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. Toys R Us didn't do anything different in 75 years. Yep. Kodak, yep. had the opportunity to purchase Netflix or at least get creative. Can you imagine? <laughs> nothing and they're out of business. So, business owners are let's go back to mindset and ego. Yeah,
0: that is what it owners is. owners are yep.
2: married to their original ideal, mm-hmm. the original product, and they're like, No, this is what I've always done. And this is the way I'm always going to do it. And consumer buying habits have changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. You can thank Amazon for that, you know? Mm -hmm. And now you can thank the pandemic for that. Buying habits have changed. We have to go back to asking our clients, what do you need? What do you want? How Mm -hmm. can I make it easiest for you to do business with us? Mm -hmm. Whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase products and services is the company that's winning. Amazon winning because they make it so easy to practically buy anything. You can practically buy a horse on Amazon and have it delivered in two days. You know, so product, So innovation and marketing, innovation and marketing. You have to ask yourself, is my product on the way up or on the way out? Is it thriving or dying? Do I have an Amazon and I'm in my prime? Businesses have life cycles just like humans do. Mm -hmm. So if you're in your prime, you need to sell people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or do I have a blockbuster and I'm about to go bust? And here's the bottom line. If you have a black and about to go bust, it doesn't mean that you just go home and you know, close up shop. Ask yourself these three transformational questions. Amazon did this back in the 90s. Ask yourself, what business am I in? Amazon said, we're in a book fulfillment business. We fulfill book orders. They don't write books. They don't publish books. They fulfill the orders. Number two is, what is your core competency? What do you do better than everybody else? What makes you unique? And Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than everybody else. And number three is what business should I be in? Amazon said, we should be in a fulfillment business fulfilling products for everybody all around the world, not just books. Those three transformational questions transformed Amazon from a small book fulfillment center to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today fulfilling products all around the world. Those are transformational business owners have to get out of transactional, which is the day to day and get into the transformational because that's the only way you truly grow. I always say if you want better answers, ask better questions.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, I had heard that before. Actually, I was in the restaurant bar industry for years and they were always saying, you know what? Sell when the place is doing their absolute best, right? When it's popular, there's lines around the corner. Sell then, then do open the new place.
2: Yeah, because it's not going to last forever, especially in that that industry. Absolutely. Number three, and I'll go through it really quickly. Most business owners don't think of processes just like they don't think about exit strategy until something bad happens. (laughs)
1: Like,
2: oh, we need a process for that. No, you actually need a process before that bad. Incident yep. occurred. Yep. But here's where most owners get this wrong. They build their processes around their own agenda. Doctors. Mm. Oh, I'm open Monday through Friday, nine to five when the rest of us are all working. Mm-hmm. Okay. Banks, chiropractors. hmm Build be, a banks. Have you ever tried to solve a problem with a bank or a social media company? <laughs> so build your processes around the customer experience. Ask yourself. What are the three things we want our customers to experience? McDonald's did this back in the 1950s. Watch the movie The Founder. If you haven't watched it, go watch the movie The Founder. They started McDonald's back in the 50s when there were no fast food restaurants. And they said, we're going to develop a fast food system. What do we want our customers to experience? We want them to experience great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. Boom. They did that. All of these years later, even though the process has been tweaked along the way, you can go to McDonald's anywhere on the road and still get the same experience, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Have you ever tried to get a problem solved with a bank? Push this number, talk to this person, push this number, push that number. You get somebody live, talk talk to a person, (laughs) oh, I'm sorry, let me transfer you. And then you get disconnected (laughs) or you have to talk to five or seven other people. Design your processes around the customer experience in mind, they must be productive, efficient, And well-documented, you need us policy and Mm -hmm. procedure manuals the SOP checklist. You know, Mm -hmm. you need your employee handbooks, Mm non-competes, not Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. All right. Proprietary is the number one value driver. Number one. Businesses uh, that trade for, businesses that have under a million dollars in EBITDA will typically trade for anywhere from one to three, three and a half times multiple unless you have patents, unless you have contracts, unless you have things like that, then you'll trade for a higher multiple. Over a million dollars in EBITDA, automatically it's going to get you higher multiple, five and up. Proprietary assets are the number one value driver. These are all the synergies that private equity groups, strategic competitors, and sophisticated are paying for. Really quickly, the more well branded you are, the more I can sell your company for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of consumers. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? No. <laughs> the most valuable brand in the world is. Amazon, Apple. Apple. <laughs> Apple. Apple. <laughs> Apple. Yeah. $359 billion just for the brand. Yep. Trademarks are huge. Trademarks are huge. Trademark your podcast, your company name, everything. But don't just get a state trademark. You got to get a federal trademark. I've seen businesses being in business 5, 10, 15, 20 years, all of a sudden receive assistance and this letter in the mail, and I have to stop using that company name. Patents are really big. Liz, you have a couple of patents. I said yeah, $18 million. It wasn't making any money, but they had 18 patents. Contracts are big. Manufacturing, distribution. Um, or any type of exclusive contracts, especially contracts that have subscription model with reoccurring revenue. If you're a consultant or something like that, huge. But here's a mistake business owners make. They never have the transferability clause that says this trans this contract is transferable upon a new entity. 98% of all sales are assets. That not stock sales. So if your buyer does, so if your buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale and you're clients don't agree to consent to transfer, your deal could be dead in the water. Hmm. Be proactive and get the right language. Databases. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging. They were losing money. You can lose money in a business and still sell it if you have mm-hmm. these synergies. Celebrity mm-hmm. endorsements. We have a client that has products with Oprah. Everybody wants to have products with Oprah because she's mm-hmm. the queen of everything.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: Radio personalities. They can only endorse one skincare. One educational company, mm-hmm. one human resource business, mm-hmm. because they lose credibility, and that's prime real estate. So if you have a radio personality and they are you have those time slots, nobody can bump you from that. That's prime real estate, digital real estate, e-commerce businesses that have any of the top positions on Amazon, Etsy, Wayfair, prime real estate that tr- strategic will p- pay a lot of money for, content. You know, there's so much IP that most people don't know how to evaluate. All right, the next P is patrons. This is your customer database. This is your customer base. Most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. Yep. You lose a couple of clients, you're dead in the water. We had a client, met a media company we were selling, marketing media. They have five clients. <laughs> we we're selling them for $15 million. But they had casinos. So they have five of the big casinos. But guess okay. what? They lost two of the casinos during the process. <laughs> Their mm-hmm. revenues dropped, out, dropped in half. Their EBITDA dropped in half. They were no longer sellable. We had to merge them with another company. The last one is profits. We're all in business to make money. The reason why I put profits last is because the lack of profits is never the problem, it's a symptom of. Not other operating problems. one of the yep. other five P's. Yeah, my 100%. client's to me and say Michelle, I got a profit problem. I'm like, no, you got a people problem. or no, you got a process problem. So mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are your six P's. If you're operating on all five, you would be profitable. It's impossible not to be.
1: <laughs> hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, I was working with a cybersecurity company and we had gone through a couple of rounds of raising finances. And it was very interesting, even though it was kind of a cock up at the end. One of the things that the CEO was forcing people to do, like the, the rest of the executive leadership team was. All of those things. Yeah. <laughs> the profit was a little hard, but it's all of those things, getting the right people in place, making sure there was processes, um, yeah. making sure there was proprietary. It was just it's fascinating. So it's a very and it, real it's thing. It's not
2: easy to do. You need an expert yeah. to help you because, you right. know, I always say it's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. <laughs> you, need an outsider's, you need an outsider's perspective. Oh, uh, Michelle. Perspective. Yes, I love that. Oh Not my that gosh. I've been in the bottle, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you need an outsider's perspective to read the warning signs and keep you out of the danger zone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great. Good stuff. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to have you back on because we just scratched the surface, Michelle. Yes. Um,
2: this has been wonderful. And you your book is coming out when? Yes. So let's tell everybody about Exit Rich. Good. Perfect. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. So Steve Forbes endorsed Exit Rich. It's a goldmine for those entrepreneurs, for all entrepreneurs, because they leave way too much money when they go to sell their business. Sharon Lecter is my co-author. Have you all heard of Sharon Lecter? She wrote Rich Job, Poured Out with Robert Kiyosaki. She's a CPA, financial literacy expert, and the advisor to many different presidents, including Obama. I think Obama, wow. Bush, Obama, I don't know for sure. So don't quote me. Don't get mad at me, Sharon, but several, <laughs> several presidents and she, her husband is an IP attorney. So she writes the mentors corner after each chapter. Um, our foreword was written by the original shark on shark tank, Kevin Harrington. Oh yeah. And then we have glowing testimonials from Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield, Mark Lee Hanson, Brad sugars from action coach, etc. And so Exit Rich comes out June 22nd, but you don't have to wait till June 22nd. You can go to exitrichbook.com now, exitrichbook.com now. We will email you the digital download for $24.79. By the way, that's less than Amazon. (laughs) And it includes shipping. So we'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep for anyone that lives inside the United States for no additional shipping. Plus, we'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club well, we have video content, we doing deep dives in these different techniques and strategies that I've been teaching for the last 20 years in the trenches, plus documents, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your business. So we have sample employee handbooks, plus procedure manuals, org charts, sample letter of intent. So a lot of business owners have never even seen a letter of intent. Purchase agreements, due diligence checklist, closing docs. All of these documents are there to run your business, sell your business. They're there for your review and your download. They will cost you over $50,000 if you want an attorney to recreate. I know because I've spent over that to create all these documents. And then we will also give you a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurship mastermind where we do Q&As and hot seats and really ask those transformational questions so we can help business owners pivot and build that sustainable, scalable, and sellable business. All for $24.79 at exitrichbook.com.
1: Oh, excellent. Good stuff. Thank you I mean, so much. <laughs> that is amazing value. As I'm listening, I'm like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Sign me up. I'm going to go and sign up. So good stuff. Um, thank you so much. We're going to have you back on uh, down the road a little bit. And uh, what else do you want our listeners to know, Michelle?
2: Uh, my main website is solidtalker.com. I, um, so I own multiple companies in different verticals. I build businesses, so I don't just build them for other people. I also build them for myself and I partner with business owners. I do have a 10 year old daughter. So who's more complicated than any transaction. (laughs) And I think the most important thing about me is if you can't tell this already, I'm extremely passionate about entrepreneurship. I'm passionate about small business. You know, small business is the backbone of our economy and we got to support small business hundred percent. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being our badass of the week, Michelle. All right. Thank you. I love being a badass with other other badass females. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. Thank y'all for having me on.
1: Thanks, ladies. All right. Bye. That's it for us this week. Remember, you can find anything we referenced in the episode in our show notes on our website,
0: bossybrilliantbadass.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. It helps us get found. And thank you for listening.
1: There'll be more Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass next week. So until then, be be a a badass. badass.